0: Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Steve Taboo. Good morning. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Are you Ready? If there's any day that you ought to be getting a little fired up, today's the day, right? As we celebrate who Christ is, we celebrate what he's done. And so we're glad you're here with us today. We we thank you for coming by. Those watching online, we're glad you're watching online. I was talking to the group in the back uh, before first service. And they said, is there anything you want to share, Pastor, about service or anything? I said, yeah, today we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus and the significance of the manger. And they're like, what? I was like, just kidding, it's the cross. (laughs) If there's ever a day we get to talk about what Christ has done on the cross, it is today. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how Christ has rescued us, how he set us free. Uh, I had a friend of mine, he was an atheist, and he was trying to give me a hard time, he He was poking fun at me. I guess I had a cross necklace on that day. And he said to me, he said, Steve, you realize that if Jesus had come in our day, the way things are today, he said that all the Christians a thousand years from now would be wearing electric chair necklaces around their neck. And I was like, hmm, maybe so. And I thought about that. And I think now, what a beautiful picture of how Christ redeems all things. To us, the electric chair is a a symbol of horror, of death, right? Well, to the people of the time of Christ, the cross was a symbol of death. It was a symbol of oppression. It was a symbol of brutality. And yet today we use it as a symbol of grace, a symbol of peace, a symbol of mercy, a symbol of forgiveness, amen? Amen. That's because of what Jesus has done. A couple of years ago, Jimmy told us a story. He said, uh, he was uh, after service, a lady pulled him aside in the lobby, and she said, can I ask you a question? He said, what's that? She said, is there a reason the river's ashamed of the cross? And he said, what do you mean, ma'am? She said, Why, well, I haven't seen a cross anywhere. And, he, <laughs> and, and he, he said, would you like to step outside for a moment? And she said, okay, and they walked down. And he, said, he said, look, you can see it from Mars. There it is. We can't be ashamed of the cross. The, the cross is the symbol of what Christ has done to redeem us and the hope that he gives us and the forgiveness that's av- available for all people, all races, all nations. So today, we're here to celebrate what never gets old, the good news of Jesus Christ. Colossians is where we're gonna start. You got your Bibles, pull those out. Now, if you're new and and the Bible's new to you, listen, it was new to me, I didn't grow up in church, Uh, so you're welcome to look on the screen and follow along. Uh, But there's also Bibles in your seats in front of you and a little slide in pouch below. You can follow along with us if you'd like. If you don't have a New Living Translation and you want one so you can follow along every week, take one of those home with you. We would be glad for you to have those. It would be a great gift to give you today. We want everybody to have a Bible and uh, we choose the New Living Translation because it's easy to read. It's written on a very young reader's level so that all the folks that are in here can read along and understand. So Colossians chapter one, verse 19 to 21 says this. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled what does that say, everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earthly means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. That's you and I. God built a bridge for us He reconciled us. He he brought us back into relationship with him through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, through the blood that he shed. And that's what we're gonna look at today is the significance of this cross and what it means. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's invite him to speak to our hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, we come and we humble ourselves before you right now. Lord, this world is, is in disarray in our opinion, but the world at the time that Christ came was also in disarray. And you brought the answer. You brought the hope. You brought the love. And God, I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, that everybody in this, this room today, God, that for the next 30 minutes, they'd be able to set aside any, any egg hunts they got coming up, any, any hams, any, any lunches, And that your Holy Spirit right now will be able to engage with them one on one and reveal this beautiful love that you've shown us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you grabbed a listening guide when you came in, we just kind of walked through that to, to help us all have something to walk away with. The first thing I want you to see is that the cross provides evidence of Jesus as Savior, it provides evidence. Uh, Matthew 27, verse 45 and 46, Jesus is hanging on the cross. So these are going to be his final words on the cross. And they're, they're interesting at best. But they're disturbing if you take them at face value. Verse 45 says this. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, which means, God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Does this disturb anybody in here? Because when I first became a Christian and I heard that, it disturbed me. Jesus did everything right, He lived the perfect life, He loved, He forgave. He showed mercy. He even died and gave his life for all of us. And at the time that God needed him the most, according to the way I read that the first time, it felt like God abandoned his own son in his time of need. And that disturbed me. And I just remember every time at Easter when I'd read that, it would disturb me. And then thankfully, I had a pastor that taught on that one day. And he taught on about taking us back to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. If you got your Bibles, flip back to Psalm 22. This is a song that was written by King David. And it's a song that was written 950 years before Jesus even came to the earth. And I believe it was a song that Jesus was referencing on the cross. You see, the the Jews were taught all the songs and they're taught to memorize them. And they would sing them, just like we sing songs today, right? And when you're referencing a song to friends, You know that song that says, and you sing a line of that song, and they go, oh, yeah, 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 I know who that's by. Well, they would do the same thing. They'd say the first line of the song to reference the whole song. Well, Psalm 22 is what Jesus is referencing. Look at the first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Does that sound familiar? Is that what Christ said on the cross? Indeed it is. I believe he was referencing this whole song on the cross. Let's read a little bit more of it. Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Sound like Jesus the night before he was betrayed, weeping and calling out to him? Verse three, Yet you are Holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel, our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. So early in the psalm, the author is coming back around saying, Lord, I don't feel you, but you have never failed. I don't sense you with me, but you've never given up, and we don't give up on you. Now, I am certain that in your life, you've had some moments like myself where I didn't feel like God was with me, where I would pray, and I felt like my, my prayers were literally bouncing off the ceiling. That's the way I use expressions. Like, I'm, I'm praying my heart out, and I'm seeing no results in the moment. And I'm struggling with my relationship with God in those moments because I'm crying out, and I'm not getting the answer that I, I want to hear. Or sometimes I feel like I'm not getting any answer. And I feel like God's abandoned me. But that's not the case because I know time after time after time in my life, when I'm not hearing from the Lord, it's a wait patiently, my son. Wait patiently. Something better is coming. It's not ready yet, but I'm pretty impatient. But here, Christ, if you're taking it in this psalm, as he's, if he's quoting this psalm, is saying he's trusting in God. And then 15 to 18, see if this sounds like Christ on the cross. My strength is dried up like sunbaked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and laid me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat they divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Wow, does that not sound exactly what Christ was going through? Do you realize this was 950 years before Christ walked the earth? What happened 950 years ago in our culture? I mean, that there was no Europeans here in America. There was no Europe. I mean, 950 years, that's a long time, Right? 950 years before Christ walked the earth, David is writing a song that would declare that who the coming Messiah would be and what he'd go through. Now, what's significant, said it pierced his hands and his feet. And if you're familiar with the story of Christ and the cross, there was a cross and, and what they would do is they would they would nail the hands and they would nail the feet to make it impossible to breathe without shoving yourself up. And so most of the people that died on the cross died of asphyxiation because they just got to the point where they just couldn't push themselves up to breathe anymore. It was a brutal death, a heinous death. It was meant to strike fear in someone's enemies. But the first record we have of that kind of death was the year 479. It was from the Persian Empire. And that first record is only of of them nailing someone's hands to a tree and leaving them to die. It wasn't until Alexander the Great that he also implemented the feat to make it even more brutal. And then the Roman Empire adopted it because they would line the streets sometime of a city that rebelled with people on crosses in order to say, if anybody else rebels, this is what you get. And it was humiliating because not only would they nail you to the cross, but they would leave you there for days. Sometimes the crows would literally poke Uh, pick your eyes out. Most of the time, you are not dressed at all. Everything was there to be seen. Your friends and family would come and, and you had no way to do anything except beg for mercy, beg for just a little bit of water on your lips because you're right in the middle of the parched sun. But no one could help you. No one could be there for you and take you off that cross or they too would suffer the same fate. So as horrible as it was, as miserable as you were on that cross, you dare not ask that anyone you love to help get you down. For you love them way too much for them to have to go through this same horrible death. And yet today, we use the cross as a symbol of hope. Why? Because 950 years before Jesus came, there was a a writer named David that was giving a messiah, a messianic prophecy. And that prophecy came true. And so for me, I believe the moment, that final moment Christ is on the cross, it wasn't him declaring that God wasn't with him. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. I've had people say, well, well God couldn't look upon Jesus because he had all the sins of the world upon him. Well, God was already looking upon the world, was he not? Did it add any more sins in that moment? It did not. They were placed all upon Christ in that moment. But I'm confident God is powerful enough to look upon sin. But I believe he was quoting Psalm 22 because he wanted his followers, who all would have had that one memorized by heart, to know that this was part of God's plan for over 900 years. That the cross... Him nailed to the cross was part of God's plan and he wanted them to know that God was with them because as you read through Psalm 22, the author finishes up with God, I know you're with me. I know you've not left me. I will trust in you. So the cross is this powerful evidence that Christ is the son of God. Second thing that we can learn is that the the cross for each one of us, gives us that hope. Gives us the hope that Jesus has defeated our sin on the cross. He's defeated it. He has taken our sin. He's nailed it up, and it's gone. First Peter, it's in the New Testament, chapter two, verse twenty-two to twenty-four. He says, "He never sinned." nor ever deceived anyone, talking about Christ. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Now listen to 24. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we, that would be you and I, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right by his wounds you are healed. Jesus took our sins upon the cross. Now, we're living in a day and age when people are wanting to say there's no such thing as sin. Wanting to say the church made it up, wanting to say that it's it's not true, that you can live pretty much any lifestyle you want, and that there is no more sin. I want you to know that's a lie. And I don't even base that on Scripture in this moment, but I just want to give you a personal example. Do you remember the first time you sinned, that you were convicted about it? I remember the first time I was convicted about it. I was six or seven years old, probably. I like to watch football. Pittsburgh Steelers are my my favorite team. (sighs) May they rest in peace. But anyway, uh, they, they were my team. And I liked to watch it on football, on on TV, but I didn't have a football. My dad wasn't big into football, so uh, I I probably wasn't big into it except to watch it on TV. But one day I was walking down the street and I got in front of my neighbor's house who had kids about my age, and I noticed there's a football about two feet from the road just, just sitting there, all lonely and unloved looking for a home where someone would take care of it and cherish it and give it the time of day. And I remember, even to this day, it's what's so crazy, I remember justifying it like it's close to the road. Maybe they threw it in the garbage and it fell out in front of the road. And I remember picking the garbage can up, I mean, the garbage can, (laughs) picking the football up, taking it home, Hiding it for a couple of days so my parents wouldn't know that I stole it. And then pulling it out, I suppose, when I could tell a lie that my friend gave it to me. But I remember to this day, each time I pulled that football out to play with it, I remembered the shame that I had stolen that football. You follow me? You got any of those moments? Fast forward. I was about 13 years old, still wasn't a Christian my sister and I had to wash dishes by hand. Now I'm just telling you, I hate it with a purple passion. I, I don't mind cleaning toilets, I don't mind running the vacuum cleaner, but whatever it is about washing dishes by hand, it just has always annoyed me. And so we had to swap nights each, each night, and then we would write it on the side of the refrigerator, you know, Deanna was her name, so Deanna's turn, Steve took his turn, Deanna. And I remember that, that night, I said, oh, hey, it's your turn to wash dishes by hand. She said, nope, look at the refrigerator. And we look at it and it's like, oh, her name was last. But I knew I'd done it the night before. And I said, you know, hey, Deanna, you, you know I did that last night. We had such and such to eat. And, and I did wash dishes last night. She's like, that's not what it says. <laughs> it's like, but, but you know, you know I, I wash dishes. She just said, it's all about the list. You know, it's always those convenient rules when you're right, right? And I remember going, I am not washing dishes. She's like, it's your turn. I was so angry. I just turned around with all I had. I just slugged her right in the stomach. And she rolled over and just started weeping because I'd hit her with everything I had. I remember just in a nanosecond the shame that I felt for hurting my sister. Here I am some 40 years later, and I remember that moment. I knew I was wrong. I knew what I did hurt her, and I knew that in my heart I wanted to hurt her in that moment. And I knew there was something wrong with that. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know you called that sin. I just knew it was wrong. I don't care if you call it sin or something wrong. When, it, when it's wrong, it's wrong. We know it's wrong and we're convicted of this and we gotta repent. Fast forward a couple more years. My mom and dad, when I turned 16, my, they loved old cars and my, they gave me a 68 Camaro for my 16th birthday. And they just had one one thing they said, right? Drive responsibly. Don't speed, don't drive crazy. We don't want to find you dead. I'm sure I agreed to that for at least six hours, maybe seven. But as time went on, I got a rush from driving fast. I remember that well. And one day we were going to a basketball game. And a buddy of mine left about, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes ahead of me. It was about a 45-minute drive, and I thought to myself, I can catch him. I'm going to catch him, and I'm going I'm to just leave him in the dust, and I'm going to brag about it for days. And I put the pedal to the metal. And I got on the four-lane highway, and two lanes go one way, two lanes go on the other, and I am just going quickly. And all of a sudden, I see the weirdest thing on this road. This, this other car is coming towards me on a one-lane road, a highway. And the next thing I know, it's got blue lights going like this. And then I look in my rearview mirror, and I see there's somebody with blue lights behind me. I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> to my credit, I didn't try to keep going. I pulled over, they boxed me in, handcuffed me, put me in the backseat of the car. I was going really fast. And uh, in that moment, I don't remember being afraid about going to jail. I remember being afraid about going home. (laughs) Anybody get a witness? Anybody? (laughs) Okay, okay. And yet it wasn't because my parents ever beat me and they never did. They did discipline me with spankings or whatever, but they never ever beat me. But it was because I knew I had betrayed my parents' trust. They had trusted me with a gift, and I had betrayed their trust. And I felt so garbage that night that I didn't go to the ball game. I didn't finish the ball game. I just turned around and drove home. And it's the only time in my life, only time that I thought about taking my own life. And it wasn't because of what they were gonna do. It was the sheer disappointment I had in myself for knowing what I had done. Folks, that is sin. And I am confident because the Bible tells me so that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every soul in this room has made decisions that were sinful, that you hurt yourself, you hurt somebody else, you hurt your parents, you hurt your sibling, you hurt your friends, you hurt your, your, your coworker, whatever it is. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I ask you, what do you do with that sin? Because I was carrying that disappointment on myself. And that's what happens. You carry it on yourself until Christ rescues you, you see, because he defeated it. Look at 1 John 1, eight and nine. This is what we can do with that sin. It says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. There's another translation, I think it's NIV, that says, and you're a liar. I like that one, it's a little clearer for me. Verse nine, but if we confess our sins to him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and get this last part, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, them shouting words right there, that's exciting stuff. And then skip over to Hebrews. If you're you're there in 1 John, just skip skip a couple books back to Hebrews, to Hebrews 8, verse 12. Now, this will get you excited. Hebrews 8, 12 says, "'For I will be merciful toward their iniquities.'" And I will remember their sins no more. So not only does Christ forgive us, not only does he cleanse us, he doesn't even remember what you did. Woohoo! Amen? Now, I gotta tell you, I love you guys, but I know when you hurt me. I remember it. You know, that time you lied to me, that time you cheated me on that business deal, and, and I, I love you, and I forgive you, but... I can't get it out of my head. When I see you sometimes, I still think, oh, that's the guy. That guy right there, right? Anybody, you know what I'm saying? It's like as, as humans, we still battle with this memory that we have. God, however he does it, I'm not sure, but he's God, so I'm give credit. So he washes that memory out. It's cleansed, and we're forgiven, and he remembers it no more. Amen? Ah, oh, that's good news. That's good news. And then the third thing, it gets even better. The third thing is that Jesus defeated death for everyone with the resurrection. He defeated death. As they say, there's two things for certain, death and taxes, right? Everybody that I've ever known dies. It's a reality. But Christ has defeated death. Matthew 1 to six. It says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the grave, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. Jesus rose from the grave on day three. It shouldn't have been a surprise. He told him he was coming back, right? But even the disciples were surprised. Thomas didn't get to see Jesus the first time. He was one of the disciples, And when the disciples said, I mean, these are people he loved, his friends, he trusted. But when they said, We saw Jesus, he's alive. Ten of them told him that. Thomas, like, Nope, not gonna believe it. Not unless I stick my finger in his hand and put my hand in his side. Jesus then appeared to Thomas and he said, Thomas, here's my hand. Here's my side. Thomas, like, Nope, I'm good, Lord. I believe. I believe. Jesus didn't say, Thomas, you're a no good, low down, noodle back, disciple, it's not worth nothing, get out of my face. He loved him. He loved him. And I would guess in this room, a lot of us have said to the Lord, I don't believe. A lot of us have said, where's God? A lot of us have had those moments where we struggled and maybe even rejected even hearing truth but here's what I want you to hear today. He loves you anyway. And he's ready to forgive your sin, and he's ready to to rescue you from death. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 to 57, just a little bit further back from Matthew, tells us about this victory that he offers. He says, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Paul's there, makes sense. I sure don't wanna take this body to heaven. I'm hoping to be about 27 in heaven, got a little bit more muscle, and I'd hope to have about eight more inches because I really wanna be good in basketball in heaven. But I'll take what he gives me, I'm sure it'll be better, right? But this body has to die. When people die, we see the physical body die. But our, our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thanks to God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, 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 yes. This world is not the end. Now, as a pastor, I've been blessed to get to be with a lot of people in their final moments. And I say blessed because it, I just wanna encourage you when you have family members to be there with them in those final moments. It's, it's hard, but it's a blessing. About, I don't know, probably 13, 14 years ago, I was with a, a daughter and her mom was in bed at the hospital and she'd been in bed for uh, I think two and a half days without any communication, just almost in a coma. And they had said to the daughter, it could be any moment. I got called up and I prayed with the daughter and then and it was just a moment or two after I prayed with the daughter that literally at that point, her mama sat up, had a big smile on her face. She said, Elizabeth, Tony, Mark, Sam, smiled real big, laid down, and died. I was like, what was that? <laughs> I looked over at the, the young lady that was there. I was like, oh, what was that? She said, I don't know. I said, I don't either. I said, I don't know what that was. But it was like instant. A couple of days went by. I went over to meet with her to talk about the funeral. She said, I want you to know, I know what it is. I said, really, what is it? She said, those four people that she named were all four people that were Christian friends or family members that had died and they were in heaven. She said, I believe she saw them in that moment. You getting God bumps? I mean, I got God bumps. I was like, yes, that makes sense. I don't know who's gonna get to be there when I get there. Maybe Jesus himself, that's what I'm hoping. But I also wanna see my family that's there, right? I'm just telling you, it's real. The afterlife is real. This world is temporary. The world with the Lord is eternal. But hell is also real. I have another friend. He called me up, he said, Steve, can you come to the hospital? He said, my dad is, he's not responding. He's already died once, they brought him back to life. He said, but he's not responding. He said, can you come and pray with us? So I went up there and I prayed and they were still working on his dad. They didn't know if he was gonna make it, if he wasn't gonna make it. We prayed, we prayed together. We prayed more, we prayed more. And then I I would say probably after an hour, hour and a half, nothing was changing. And so I went ahead and left. He called me the next day. He's like, you won't believe what happened. I said, what is it, Andy? He said, you won't believe it. I said, tell me. He said, my dad woke up. He said, and the first thing he said is, there's a hell. He said, I've been there. He said, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And he did. He got on the phone. He said, you got to say, my dad's like private. He didn't like seeing people. He called every cousin, every nephew, every, every sister, every brother, everybody, and said, hell is real. You need to give your life to Jesus now. I was like, Wow. His dad finished following the Lord, and about a year later, he went to heaven. Heaven is real. Hell is real. But God has made a way. His way is Jesus. And Jesus came. He suffered on the cross that you and I might find forgiveness, grace, and hope in these final moments. The last thing, the last thing is that we must take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is our part. He won't do everything for you. He did all that he can. He created you in love. He designed you with a purpose. He put inside of your heart a hunger for him. He even put inside your heart a knowledge of right and wrong. And then when we blew it, As humans, he sent his son, Jesus, to forgive us, to reconcile us, and to bring us back into relationship. And so if you're in the room today, you've heard the truth. There will come a day that you and I will stand before the Lord. The Bible says, as it's appointed unto man, once to die, and then the judgment. So you and I will stand before God, and he'll ask us, why should I let you into the kingdom of heaven? And then we'll have an answer to give. For me, I'll I'll say when I was 16 years old, Lord, I just said yes. I didn't know everything, I didn't understand everything, but I felt convicted and I said yes. I would ask you today, what would you say to the Lord? Because if you don't have an answer, you can today. Your answer could be Easter, 2023. I heard the good news of Jesus and the cross. And that day I said yes to taking up my cross and following him. This passage, Mark 8, Jesus says this. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. That's it. You got to give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. But if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. What well, do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Your number of likes on Instagram, your number of friends on Facebook, the promotion you might get, the raise you might get. Is anything worth your soul? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. No. There is nothing worth your soul. And Christ invites us into relationship with him. I'm gonna invite you, if you would, to stand with me. And the invitation today is, if you do not know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, would you come forward today and let us pray with you and walk you through that decision to say yes to Jesus? We we do a invitation here. We're on the left side. Over here's a place where you can come talk to God by yourself, pray for friends, family members, something you want to pray through for somebody else or yourself, and nobody will pray with you over here, okay? This is like you doing business with God one-on-one. If you want to be prayed for, then over here on on my right side, we've got these, these kneeling benches. You can come, and as you kneel, somebody, one of our pastors or ministers will come and just say, hey, how can I pray for you? What is it you're wanting to talk about? And if you've never given your life to Jesus, man, step out and go for it today. Make that decision today. Don't put it off. I remember I was about 14 years old. I went to church, had a similar situation. The gospel was shared. I remember my heart tugging. And I said no to God that day. I said no because I was afraid what my friends would say about me. I said no because I I wasn't ready in my mind. And I know from that day forward, I was accountable because I'd heard the good news. So grateful he gave me another shot at it. Maybe this is your second shot, your third shot, your 300. Take advantage today of the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. So as Jimmy plays and Cheyenne sings, I just, as they do that, you pray. If the Lord's saying something to you, just come and talk to us. Come and talk to us. Don't worry about who's around you. Just come and talk with us. Let us pray with you. And if God's not leading you to come forward, then pray for all those that he is talking to, that they'll have the courage to come. As they sing, let's do as God leads. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening today. If you would like more information about the church and what God is doing here through the river, you can visit RiverCC.com or you can download our app in the app or Google Play Store. Again, we just want to say thank you for listening and we hope as you go throughout your week that you are able to love God, love people, and impact the world.